Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders, and to kick this one off, a very happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there that are listening. I know there are a lot of you because I get a lot of correspondence on my YouTube channel and emails and stuff from folks that are saying they have kids, and I think it's the coolest thing ever when moms contact me and tell me about how they got really into the hobby and now their kids are in the hobby. So even if you're not, even if you're sitting there next to your husband who's listening to my podcast, who's basically the tarantula person in the house, very happy Mother's Day to you. This will be a shorter podcast this week. I actually planned on a shorter one last week and it didn't pan out. It ended up being ridiculously long for some strange reason, but... I have to do a shorter one this week because I have to take my lovely and amazing wife out to dinner in a bit, and I want to make sure that I don't sap up the entire morning doing podcasts and spider stuff. She is ridiculously supportive of me, as any of you who watch the videos know. Any time of day, I ask her to come up and record something. She'll do it at the drop of the hat. There's never any, oh, hold on a minute. It's amazing. I, she, I can't even, I could gush a whole podcast about her, but I want to make sure that I limit the spider time today because we need a lot more wife time. So... The topic today is one I've been thinking about for a while and trying to figure out how to frame because that's what ends up happening with some of these podcasts is that you start getting ideas for things and you got to kind of flesh them out. And then sometimes some of the ideas you have kind of piggyback on other ideas. So this one, for example, kind of piggybacked. I, I don't think I can address it properly without addressing another topic that I've actually covered before. But the the overall topic, what we're going to try to break down at, by the end of this podcast is what exactly makes an advanced species. And this one's been one I've rattled around before. We've talked about before. I think when I did my podcast, podcast on intermediate species, we kind of broke down some of the things that lead a spider from being taken out of that beginner category and put into the intermediate category and talked about some of the things that keep spiders out of the intermediate category and put them into the quote-unquote advanced category. And I want to make it very clear for folks out there that aren't a fan of assigning tarantulas, you know, beginning, intermediate, or beginner, intermediate, advanced type labels. I get it. I struggle with this myself. I think there are some goods, some goods, geez, Louise, give me a long morning, some pros that can come of it. But I also will never argue against somebody that says the whole thing's kind of ridiculous because as we'll start this one off and see, they're all kind of easy to take care of overall. But there are ones out there that can give people a little more of a run for their money, especially ones that haven't been in the hobby that long. So we're going to try to break down what leads into that because it, I, I don't think it's the easiest question on the planet because of the fact there are some X factors that you have to consider that can take a species that you would normally consider to be a, I don't know, beginner species and make it a little more advanced for somebody and vice versa. So to kick it off, uh, let's just talk a bit about tarantula care in general. And I this has been my theme for many years, so this shouldn't be a shock. And I also did a podcast a while back, maybe a year ago, a year or so ago, which was called Why is Such a Simple Hobby So Difficult? And I think this is where I need to cover this part first to kind of spring into the, you know, our focused question, because I do think it's something we need to give consideration to. I think when a lot of us first discover the hobby, and again, I can talk from my own personal experience because I can remember I've told the story many times, sitting at the computer, deciding, you know, hey, I'm going to look up and see how I would get more tarantulas if the queen died, and then suddenly discovering this whole world out there. And it was really like a profound moment where I was like, oh boy, I think I just found my next hobby. Like it was that strong. And then trying to find husbandry information on them. And it seemed like the most complicated thing ever. It was like you couldn't find anything that would 
One person would say you need to keep it moist. Another person would say it needs to be dry. Somebody would say water dish. Somebody would say no water dish. People are saying sponges. People are saying they need to be heated. The other people are saying no, room temperature is totally fine. And the problem is when you have an animal that you are now keeping and responsible for caring for, it, it's an added responsibility. Again, I've often compared the the tarantula hobby to other hobbies where people collect because I think what ends up happening in the tarantula hobby is a lot of us end up collecting these animals in our home. It's it, There's no other way to put it. A lot of folks will refer to their tarantula collection, but unlike other inanimate objects that you may collect, whether it be baseball cards, action figures, comic books, whatever it may be, vinyl, those things, it's a matter of just like with vinyl. You need to keep them protected. You need to keep them from keeping getting scratched. And you need to find some type of container that will keep dust off them. With action figures, you again, keep the dust off them. Basically, at the end of the day, if you're collecting these inanimate objects, the worst case scenario is you're going to damage your object. And in many cases, you can not treat them correctly. I've seen folks who keep vinyl just out and about, and there's dust on everything else, and they just need to be cleaned off. They still work, so there's no real lasting harm. Now go over into a hobby where you're suddenly amassing lots of animals. You are There's an added responsibility there because you want to keep these things alive. And unfortunately, what ends up happening is a lot of people get, you know, they dive in head first. They start off with a handful of them. Next thing you know what, they have 100 specimens that they haven't properly researched. Things start dying, and they start freaking out. And I think that's what starts to give people this idea that they're a little more difficult to take care of than they actually are. And I think in some ways, the hobby is a victim of the fact that they are so darn easy to keep. And what do I mean by that? Let's think of, and we've talked about this before with other animals, you know, any of the furry animals, you have to feed them and water them, make sure they have access to water daily. You have to have particular cages or enclosures, or if you're talking about dogs or cats, different harnesses for them, collars. There's all kinds of little, I don't know if the harness and collars are really a big deal, but I'm thinking in terms of with these animals, there's a lot more active care involved. I'm going to go with dogs on this example because obviously we have a lot of dogs, but dogs need exercise. They need companionship. They need attention. They need food. They need water. They need proper housing during the winter and summer. They need vet care, which can be very pricey. A lot of different things that tarantulas do not need. You do not need to take your tarantula for a walk. You do not need special housing for them. A lot of people basically put them in pill bottles and little deli cups. Although there have been advances in medical care for them as far as veterinary medicine is concerned, I don't know of a lot of folks that bring their animals in for shots or vaccinations every, you know, once in a while or yearly checkups. It just doesn't happen. These animals compared to other animals that people may keep, you name it, dog, ferret, cat, guinea pig, gerbil, require a minimum of care, are very easy to set up and can be set up and fed for pennies. And that's, I think, where we start to fall victim to it. Because think about it. Your average tarantula, you could get a tarantula, you could keep it in a $2 Sterilite bin. You could pull some, in theory, folks overseas do this all the time in Europe. They just go out and dig some dirt out of their backyard and throw it in there. So your dirt didn't cost you anything. They, You can throw in a piece of cork bark, a hide, some of these ones that are quote-unquote pet rocks, don't even really use or need a hide, a little water dish, and you buy, you know, 10 cents of crickets once a month, and you're done. That is about as easy as it possibly gets. We're up there in goldfish territory with the majority of these species. And I think that's where folks get lulled into a false sense of security in terms of the quality of their care. Because what ends up happening is you have one, and we've all done it, and I think everybody can back me up on this one. You get your first sling. 
you are obsessing over it. You're checking it constantly. There it is. Is it eaten? Oh my God, it's not eating. What am I going to do? I dropped the prey item in. If it doesn't eat, how am I going to dig the prey item out? Oh my God, I ate the prey item. This is awesome. I'm going to feed it again. Oh, I ate again. Oh, I'm going to feed it again. Oh, I ate again. Next thing you know, it's not eating anymore. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with this thing? I don't understand. And then, oh my gosh, it burrows. Now what do we do? It's burrowed. You hop online. You're like, my tarantula is burrowed. You pull up a million things. Hopefully my article comes up about it where I try to put people's minds at ease. And then you freak out because it's burrowed. You're not sure how long it's going to be burrowed for. And then what do many of us do? We go, all right, we find out that they're in pre-molt. We probably fed them too much. You know, feeding them five times in one week was probably too much. And the spider is now going to be in pre-molt for a while. We've we've been on arachnoboards. We've been on Facebook groups. We've talked to people about it. They've told us this is totally normal. And what do we usually tell people to do? Hey, if you're getting bored watching it, go buy some more. So you go out and you buy some more. And you buy some more. And you do the same thing with them. And next thing you know it, you have four different little slings that you're caring for. They all tend to molt at the same time. You feed them. They all bury themselves. And what do you end up doing? you get more. I think I shared before the story of when I got my first two slings. It was the L. parahybana and the C. pubicens, and this happened to a T. My C. pubicens went into pre-molt, webbed itself up. I was freaking out. My LP, I fed it, you know, a bunch of little red runners in one week. It went in the pre-molt. It dug. I was freaking out. And then I was reading and people were like, you know, just get more. So I did. I got more. And that's what happens to a lot of us. So we start realizing, hey, as we get more of them, they they molt, they come out, they start eating again. We're like, hey, this really isn't that bad. This is easy. You just want to have something going on at all time in your collection. So you keep buying more. But unfortunately, I think what happens is we start picking up things that we maybe didn't do an adequate amount of research on. I've had folks contact me like, hey, I saw this one. It looked great. And it's only after I ordered it, I realized it's kind of a feisty old world. Or, hey, I picked this one up and I, I don't keep moisture dependent species. I've never kept them before. I'm kind of scared. What do I do? And it's after they get the spiders. And this is where we come, we, we get into those positions where we are now bringing animals that we've, and we've promised ourselves we'd never do this. We're bringing animals into our home without doing adequate research. I've spoken to many people, have some conversations with keepers on the side, and many of us are guilty of this, where you start off, like I spent months researching tarantulas before I pulled the trigger and bought my first couple slings. Months. Like reading everything I could on them, doing wish lists, looking up. I had a notebook where I did each page was a different species and all the notes on it. And what I would do, I was so obsessive that like, say I was looking for, we'll go with C, kind of new pubicins, because that was one of the ones I landed on. I found one that said, you need to keep them moist. You need to restrict the ventilation in them because they need moisture. And I'm like, okay, oh, maybe this one's off my list then, because that I don't, I don't know anything about keeping moisture dependent species or species that require humidity, because at that point, I was still following the humidity guidelines. And then I found other ones that said, you keep them dry. And then I went on arachnoboards and I put in GBB or C, kind of new pubicins. And I pulled up a lot of good information from folks that had kept them, said, hey, I kept mine bone dry, just dribbled some water on the webbing or kept like a little corner moist. They did perfectly fine. And then I would go through my list and meticulously break down, like highlight every, like five people said this, only one person said this, so we can throw that out. Out of the five people that said this, three of them sound like they actually kept this animal as opposed to the other one that probably cut and pasted. It was that level of obsessiveness as far as trying to figure out what is the correct information for these guys. Because We've all been there. You get into the hobby, you start doing the research, and you find a lot of conflicting information. Part of that is because they are so easy to keep. There's a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of different ways to keep it, to keep them. And part of it is they attract people that immediately want to share their knowledge, even if they don't have knowledge to share. And we've spoken many times in the past about folks that, unfortunately, they keep a handful of species, but then they go out and they start becoming authorities on keeping tarantulas by regurgitating other things that they find. And that can be difficult to wade through. It can be difficult to go out there put in a species 
and break down, is this person's information good or not? So I think where we start to go astray is some of us come in, we think it's a really difficult hobby. We start raising some of them. We start realizing that, hey, a lot of this stuff is very predictable. They're pretty easy to keep. I'm keeping these slings. They're growing. Everything's going great. And then we start piling on. And that's when we maybe run into our first death. That's maybe when we go out there and make one of those purchases where we go, uh-oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And I think that's where folks start developing the idea that they're more complicated than they are. Because again, underlying all of this is, I hope anybody keeping an animal is feeling this at least, that need to make sure you are giving this animal the best care possible. And when you're trying to give an animal care and you're doing research and you're finding lots of conflicting information, it causes stress, it causes anxiety, it causes you to feel uncertain about your level of care. And that's when mistakes are getting made. So what moving into the main topic here, because I do think this needs to be covered because I do think the hobby is very, very simple. There are only a handful of types of enclosure setups you could do. You know, we're talking terrestrial, fossorial, or arboreal for the most part. We can throw in that, the one that nobody wants to hear, but I do throw it in there because I do think it is a viable type of enclosure setup, the semi-arboreal, where it means you're just giving them a little more height up top. So there are only a handful of ways to keep them. You can keep them dry. You can keep them moist. You can have a terrestrial setup where, quite frankly, my thought is if you give them enough substrate, you can almost combine fossorial and terrestrial into one if you just give all your terrestrials enough room to dig. A lot of us do give all of our terrestrials extra room because some of the terrestrials, ones that are quote-unquote just regular terrestrials or the you know pet rocks will do some burrowing if given the room to. So you can almost take that right out of the equation if you want. And then you have the arboreals. There's just not a lot of variance in how to keep them. Right off the bat, we can say there are no special heat requirements. We want to keep them, you know, if you keep them in the mid to high 60s or so, they are going to do fine. They are going to grow, albeit they will probably grow a little bit more slowly than people who are keeping them in the 70s. There's no need to keep them up in the 80s. I just had somebody email me the other day freaking out because their tarantula room that they keep 80 degrees was dropping down to 75 degrees and they were having a hard time keeping it heated and I was like 75 is fine you can turn that heat off they'll do just fine so very very simple overall until something goes wrong now what is it that makes a, a an advanced species this is where it gets tricky because one of the things we look at and one of the things we gauge just by often and you'll notice the species that end up on the advanced list are usually old world species. And why is that? It's because old worlds are, we know their defense mechanism is that they have more potent venom. They are more inclined to use their fangs. They don't have those urticating hairs of their new world cousins. And when threatened, they can be quite fast. They can bolt. They can try to run and hide, which can be a little bit off-putting for somebody not used to fast tarantulas. Or they can stand their ground. They can threat posture. And they can try to bury their fangs in your finger or hand as a way to try to deter you from messing with them. And and so what we get is a lot of the ones you see on the advanced species list always end up being the old world tarantulas. So temperament is a big one. And then I think the other thing we always need to look at when trying to decide is this species more of an advanced species. And I think this one is just as important and can sometimes outweigh the other one is ease of care. I mean, if we're talking one of the biggest aspects of the hobby and one of the ones that kind of 
separates the children from the adults, for lack of a better term, are rehousings, your ability to rehouse a spider safely with neither you or the spider being ever at any risk with getting the spider safely from point A to point B. So I often think that the fossorial species kind of end up more in the, we'll say, advanced realm because it can be difficult to get out a spider that is burrowed. That's one of the biggest messages and emails I get is I have this species, blah, blah, blah. It's fossorial. It's buried. It's big. I haven't seen it in a while. I have to rehouse it. How the heck do I do this? And I think that can freak people out. The stress that comes from rehousings cannot be understated. And I do think there is a reason people get stressed from rehousing because that's where you're going to run into this temperament issue. Another thing that I think as far as care that puts things in the advanced range is moisture dependency. I don't think it's particularly difficult to keep moisture dependent species over the years. I mean, I'm at a point now where I find it very, very easy, but I can tell you for a fact that I obsessed over moisture early on in my tarantula keeping career, obsessed over it. I was freaking out. I would break out those hygrometers. I have, I believe, a video out there somewhere maybe where I showed how, somewhere maybe, it's out there where I believe I was setting up my T-Sturmy and I stuck one of those hygrometers in there. Now, mind you, I was just trying to get a ballpark because I was trying to keep this thing well ventilated enough that there was some, you know, airflow in it, but not too much that it dried completely out. So I was kind of monitoring it. So I did it too. I did the same thing that I tell people not to do early on. I think moisture dependency is something that adds an extra challenge to the tarantula's care. Now, if you have a species that is both an old world, possibly a fossorial species, and one that requires moisture, now you have, I think, a true advanced species. One of the ones, and there's a handful of ones that I caution people against getting early on only because I've spoken to many folks who have kind of jumped the gun, picked them up, and struggled with them. Not because, again, not because they're hard, but because there's so much on the table when you're working with them. There's the speed. There's the potential defensiveness. They've heard that these guys can bite repeatedly. I mean, one I can think of right off the bat that I always put onto the advanced species list is Omothymus violosipes. That's one of those ones that when I think of your quintessential advanced species, Species that always pops into my head because they are fast growing, they are fast moving, they are known to be very potent in terms of venom. I have heard folks that have ones that if caught out and about are very defensive. We talked about the fact that burrowing tarantulas can be a little more difficult to keep. They tend to burrow right on through. Some of them, my girl was burrowing right on through adulthood, kind of had a little burrow behind her cork bark, didn't come out very much. It didn't act arboreally like most folks expect them to do. I'd say this one checks off a lot of boxes in terms of what we would look for in an advanced species. And that's important to note because it's not just one, it's not just temperament because you could have a very, and I think this is why we can never just look at temperament. I have a lot of old world tarantulas that I keep that are very laid back. Now, other folks, we always talk about temperament may vary from specimen to specimen. Other folks may report theirs are much more defensive, skittish. I totally get that. Never discount that. It depends on the individual spider. So it's difficult to classify something as advanced when you're not sure what the temperament's going to be. So, for example, I always bring up my Harpactra pulchropies. I have a female that if I went into handling and didn't mind risking getting bit, I would have, I don't think she would give me the least bit of a problem handling. I've never, the only time I got a threat pose from her is she was kind of in standby mode. I dropped a cricket in and she gave a half, 
half-hearted, I almost said something different, half-hearted threat pose and then just settled right back down. She's very calm. When I open up her enclosure, she just kind of scrunches up in that kind of stress pose and makes herself really small. A very sweet tarantula. And then if you look at, and this is where it gets difficult, trying to assign that advanced label to tarantulas. If you look at their care, they are easy as heck to raise. They grow moderately fast. They don't need it. They like a little moisture when they're younger. You know, where they come from, it does rain. They do get some moisture. They can burrow to find moisture. They may burrow. A lot of them don't burrow, but they pretty much, they grow quickly. They eat great and they aren't, they don't have any real moisture requirements or anything. So if you get a, a docile one, that's a rather easy spider to keep. And that's why I think it's so tricky when we try to sit there down and narrow down what makes an advanced species. This is why every time I try to cover something like this and talk about intermediate or beginner or advanced, I get folks for the beginner species that go, hey, I have a G Polkerpes that literally ran out of its enclosure, jumped on my lap and tried to bite me. It didn't really happen, but you do get stories like that. And then you get, other folks would go, my oviolosopies calmly walked out onto my arm the other day, sat on my shoulder and was completely fine and then calmly walked back into her cage. So how do you do that? So I think that's where we have to look at the whole picture. The care also comes into play. So even if I have a laid back oviolosopies, we've also added in moisture dependency. This is a species that most of us want to keep moist at all times. When they're slings, they're moist. When the juveniles, they're moist. When they're adults, I'm looking over at my female's cage. It's over to my left. It is kept moist with a plant in it in a water dish at all times. That is an added challenge for anyone moving into keeping that type of species because, again, a lot of us freak out about the moisture dependency early on. It can lead to issues where not what usually happens with the moisture dependency. Well, it can go, I shouldn't say usually happens, it seems to go one or two ways. Way number one is people underestimate how important it is. They let things dry out, and I get the email going, I have found my spider in a death curl. I don't understand. And I look at it, and it's like an. Oviolosopies, we'll just go with that one that is kept in ridiculously dry conditions. Or we get the other side of the coin where people are like, man, my spider's been kind of lethargic. I don't know what's wrong with it. I'm, I'm making sure it's nice and moist. And they send me photos and it's soaking wet substrate with a bunch of soaking wet moss with a giant water dish and just these fetid, stuffy conditions that can kill a spider just as fast, if not faster than a spider that's kept too dry. So we get both of those spectrums of poor care when it comes to the moisture dependent ones. And so that's something I look at when I talk to folks who are like, hey, would you consider this an advanced species? I will bring up both temperament. I will bring up the ease of care. And I will also mention that depending on what type of animal you get in terms of temperament, the ease of care may become easier because it's a lot easier, obviously, to rehouse something that's a little more laid back than something that's a little bit crazy and defensive. Now, if you're being prudent about it, I always like that motto plan for the worst, but hope for the best, or hope for the best, but plan for the worst. I've heard it said both ways, but I always like that one because I I think intelligent, logical people, careful people, will always take in all the information, look at all the variables, all the possibilities of things that can happen. What is the worst case scenario here? And plan accordingly. And then if it goes, you know, if it goes south, you plan for it, you have a game plan, and you can deal with it. And then a lot of times it doesn't go south, and then you just have a much easier situation overall that, all right, I plan for this, but hey, this is much better. Awesome. I think it's always important to take that approach when working with tarantulas, especially when doing your research on which species you might find to be advanced. So what I mean by that is when researching a species, you need to look at what is the worst case scenario in temperament. 
We love to be able to go, all right, well, you know, and I think sometimes I play into this. Well, Tom Moran has this species and his is really laid back. So mine will probably be laid back. And that's great. And yours probably will because I'm finding more, I think I alluded to this in a recent podcast, I'm finding more and more often that the I don't have a lot of trouble with anything. If you keep them right, there's really not a lot of chances for them to be nasty and ornery and defensive. But you want to look at what is the worst case scenario in terms of temperament. If a lot of folks out there have reported, if you're dealing with an old world species, and I think this is where we're extra prudent, and you know that the, I don't know, OBT, we'll go with the OBT, P. murinus. You've heard the P. murinus can be nasty, defensive. Some folks will even try to brand them aggressive. You need to have that in the back of your mind. So you plan for your rehousings, for your care, to avoid any situations that might A, trigger that, or if it happens, so that you're able to work with it and not have the spider escape, not have a bite, not have an injured spider. I think that's very, very important. And then once you look at that, so I'm looking at, so when folks come up to me and they go, I want to get an OBT. What do you think about? Is this as advanced a species? Because I think a lot of folks come into the hobby hearing all the stories about OBTs, and they think they are the most advanced tarantulas out there. I would tell them, bottom line, my thought process is on these. Ease of care is about as easy as you can get. Give them some dry substrate. Give them some anchor points. Give them some vertical room to do some webbing if they choose. Give them some dirt to dig in if that's what they choose to do. And give them room. And you should have a fairly reclusive, calm, I'll I'll say calm, but you should have a spider that's not going to be trying to rip your face off like you've heard. However, you have to plan for worst case scenario, which is those rehousings, which is the fact they can be a little prone to becoming defensive, throwing up the threat posture, and the fact that folks tend to be terrified of them because all the stuff they heard. So you need to take that temperament part into account as well. And worst case scenario, they are capable of being rather ornery. I haven't seen it with mine. I think I have six of them now. I've had really good luck with them, but there are folks out there report that. So that's something you need to keep in mind when looking at it. And then you have to kind of determine if this is your advanced species, because I do think advanced species are kind of dependent on the individual. Somebody might look at that and go, man, I've heard these horror stories. I'm kind of freaked out about them. Um, I'm worried that it's going to be aggressive. I hate that term, but that's what some folks think. And that's in their head. Yeah, that's probably going to be an advanced species for you because you're already worried about it. It's already going to make rehousings more stressful. Care-wise, very, very easy. Now, let's look at ones where temperament goes the other way. Temperament is usually laid back. But the care can be suspect. I always bring up avicularia, avicularia, or carabina versicolor. As much as we try to talk about the fact that with the correct care, they're not difficult to keep. SADS SADS or sudden avic death syndrome that we call it is when basically an avicularia or carabina versicolor seems to be doing well and just drops over dead. That's something that is still happening. I get at least a couple emails a month from folks that were seemingly keeping these guys correctly and for some reason they died. So now you have a species that makes it to a lot of beginner species lists. And this is why I'm always sketchy about recommending these guys. A lot of beginner species lists because they are so laid back overall. They're beautiful spiders. But we still haven't quite nailed down the care. Or in some cases, we just, I don't know what it is. They're just more finicky when it comes to those parameters of what's acceptable and what might cause them health issues. People still lose them. So that's a species that I struggle with because part of me wants to go, yeah, it's kind of an advanced species, especially if you're starting with slings. With older specimens, like folks are getting juveniles or adults, the, the 
issues of them suddenly dying seem to really, that seems to be at a minimum. Although I have heard folks of losing seemingly healthy juveniles. But that's something that I would look at and go like when people come up to me and go, I've done my research. I've done that, looked at the beginner list. Heck, it's even on one of my beginner lists, I believe. I put them on there because everybody voted them as one of the best beginners. But I do caution folks because, yes, in theory, the care looks pretty simple. In theory, the spiders, usually they're pretty laid back, although I have two carabiners that are crazy. However, folks report a lot of issues with them. So do we add those to the advanced list? That's where it gets tricky. And that's why the whole thing is so difficult to define because it really, in many ways, depends both on the individual and the spider, whatever the particular spider is. We talked about the OBT earlier. Mine's a sweetheart. Mine's a very easy spider to not only care for, she's laid back, and I've never had a single issue with a rehousing. She's been rehoused, I believe, four times, maybe three times, four Four, I think four, and never had a single issue with her. But I, we can't just assume all spiders like that. So I think that's why we struggle so much with assigning these labels as far as what's advanced and what's not. The other ones I like to look at where it gets tricky, Pisolotheria in comparison to Salmopia species. Pisolotheria have a rep for being very advanced spiders because they're, they are obviously very quick. Their venom is incredibly potent, one of the most potent venoms out there that a spider can have, and that scares a lot of people off. There's also a lot of folks that will talk about the fact that they can be defensive, unpredictable. I would say, and I found this in keeping many, I think I've kept 13, 12 species of them, 13 species around there. I'd have to count it out now. I'm not going to do it right now, but a lot of the species available, I've had zero issue. And I put up a piece of Ethereum video a while back in part to show people that they're not the demons that everybody makes them out to be. And I can't tell, me, tell you how many folks have chimed in on that video and said the exact same thing. They are really, it's overblown. They would rather flatten out and hide first. They are predictable, much more predictable than, say, Salmopia species. Now, here is a New World tarantula. And this species, in comparison to Pisolotheria, that are often labeled as advanced species, is considered to be an intermediate species because of the fact that they grow rather quickly, they're hardy, they're great eaters. But the temperaments, the variation on temperaments on Salmopia species in comparison to Pisolotheria are quite profound. I've had many folks tell me that their Salmopias are some of the most difficult tarantulas they have to deal with. I have found that mine, unlike Pisolotheria, that if you disturb them, they kind of do this thing where they flatten out, try to use their natural camouflage. Those pretty looks aren't just, you know, to make them pretty for collectors. They allow them to kind of blend into wood and cork bark really well. It's camouflage. Where in the Salmopias, if you disturb them and catch them out, I've had people say their Armenias are nasty. I've had people say their Cambridgeis are nasty. Uh, I've had folks tell me their Darth Mauls are nasty. Now, again, I'm not trying to blow up the spot of Zalmapias. I'm just saying most of us that keep both have found that when we have a rehousing to do, the Zalmapias are a little more difficult, a little more tricky because of that unpredictable temperament than that of the, the rehousings for the Pisolotheria species. And that's interesting because one is considered kind of an intermediate species and one of it's considered, I, I can't tell you how many folks come to me and go, yep, this is the pinnacle of advanced species. Now let's look at ease of care. Both are rather easy to take care of. Pisolotheria species, yes, you want to keep them moist when they're younger. You want to give them some moist uh, moisture as juveniles, water dishes. As adults, I try to give mine, I make it rain, I moist up the substrate, let it dry out in between, kind of simulate what they get in the wild where they get the moist 
you know, rainy periods and things might dry out a little bit. They seem to be very adaptable, very hardy. Same thing for the most part with Salmopias, very similar. You keep them moist as babies, moist as juveniles, as adults with a water dish, moisten things out, let it dry out in between. They do just fine. So you have two spiders that pretty much the care is spot on as far as being similar. Like it's pretty much identical between the two of them. So then you have to go to temperament. And what are the temperaments? We talked about Pisolotheria. Again, I would stand by this. Pretty predictable, pretty laid back, kind of shy spiders. I always use shy for them now. I think that's a word that kind of entices people to give a, you know, give them a chance because it's like, that sounds, they, can they be skittish? Absolutely. I don't think we want to throw that out. Yes, when they get wound up, they are fast, they are unpredictable, but I think they're a lot more difficult to wind up than say, Salma PS. A lot of folks, I do have shy Salma PS. I talked about the fact that my Salma PS Armenia is rather shy. I never usually see her out. The other day she was out and about. She was actually rather calm. But when I did my last Salma PS Armenia video, or I forget, I did something with it. I think I might have done orange species or something. It was some video and a lot of folks chimed in that theirs were absolute demons. So if I were to put the two together, in my experience, I would say that Salma PS species are a little more difficult to handle than the Pisolotheria species. So where does that leave us? Well, we also want to factor in the fact that the Salmopia species lack urticating hairs. So guess what their line of defense is? They bite. And they are known to be a bit more bitey than many of the other New World species. Because again, when that's your defense mechanism, that's what you're going to know. They're not going to throw a cloud of hairs up on you. They're going to turn around and bite. So now you have temperament with the bite, which there's information out there that says that some of their bites are actually more potent than most New World species. Now, obviously, I would not try to argue that their venom is as potent as Pisolotheria. I think we can all agree that's on the hot scale as far as tarantulas are concerned. That's right up to the top. But they're more likely to use it, and it's going to hurt. So again, one of them's labeled an intermediate. One of them's labeled advanced. So it comes down to the fact that you do have to take into consideration, I think, to a point, the fact that the what are the plan for the worst? What are the consequences? You screw the whole rehousing up. The spider gets out. It gets on your shoulder. You knee-jerk reacts. You grab it, and you get bit. Which one's going to put you in the hospital and which one's not? And I think that's why... Pisolotheria, unfortunately, get that extra notch up where they are called advanced species because of the threat. Is that fair? I don't know. I struggle with it myself. I've had these discussions with people that ask me. I mean, the good thing is when folks come to me and go, hey, I've heard that Salmopias are a great intermediate species. Will those get you ready for Pisolotheria? Yes, they absolutely will. Because if you can keep what I think is a harder spider to keep overall, or at least more risky spider to keep overall in terms of temperament, then definitely you should have a much easier time with the Pisolotheria species. So this is why I think we struggle so much when we try to identify advance any of the levels, honestly. It, it goes the other way as well. When we try to label beginners, I can't every time I do a video where I label one of them a beginner species, somebody will come on and say, mine is crazy, mine tries to bite me, mine kicks hairs, mine runs around like a mad woman. And I'm not discounting that. I 100% believe them, and I would not try to argue against that. But that's what makes it so tricky because I may have, like right now, I have three Grandma Stola Pulcher Peas. I absolutely love Grandma Stola Pulcher Peas. Might be my favorite species of tarantula. I, I struggle back and forth with, but I just, there's something about these guys. And minor sweethearts. If I was one to handle, my hand would be in there. I would be holding one of these guys. I'd be petting it just like a little hamster or something. I'm not, so I don't. 
but very laid back. But there are folks out there that have ones that are nasty. Now, mine are obviously great beginners. That other person is looking at this going, how the heck is this a beginner? I can't even change the water dish without it attacking the brush. So it's tricky because tarantulas, when it comes to temperament, it's you do you have to include temperament in when you consider whether or not a tarantula is an advanced species i believe you have to include temperament you have to look at the big picture you have to go out there and go what are most people reporting with this species and unfortunately is the temperament going to be consistent no so you're taking a gamble sometimes you're going to get an old world species that is as calm as some of these pet rocks we talk about these new world species that everybody talks about and sometimes you're going to get the demon. You just never know. And then in terms of care, I think it comes down to, I think care is an incredibly important part of this situation. I don't think, I, I hear a lot of folks that come in and they classify all of the the difficult species, the advanced species as old worlds. And it's because they're, they, in their minds, the only reason they're advanced species is because they're old worlds. And again, I talk about many of the Harpatra being a, a great example, the Ceratogyrus species, the Darlingi, Marshali, the Monocentropus balfouri, all of them incredibly hardy spiders, incredibly easy to care for. I would argue almost bulletproof in terms of husbandry that you're going to get one of these spiders. If you did even a, a little bit of research on them, you're going to have no problems with them. But they get the designation, often get the des designation of being advanced species because of that venom. So you have to look at both sides of it. And then there are other species, the Chilobrachy species, for example, the Omothymus, any of the Asian species that require moisture. Those are going to be more advanced, more, and they bring both to the table. You've got a spider that can be really upset, nasty and ornery, if not kept correctly. And if kept correctly, you're going to be dealing with moisture dependency, keeping that substrate moist, which again, can be tricky for some people. So those are the ones I kind of see as the true advanced ones. But at the end of the day, it really depends on how prepared you are, how much experience. I, I would argue that, the, and I've argued this before, the single most important aspect of this hobby when it comes to predicting success is the person's ability to rehouse. That's why I do so many rehousing videos. That's why I try to point to how it can go, give people some examples of what to look for when they do it, because I've found that folks that are good at their rehousings, comfortable, confident in their rehousings, tend that you can take all of those difficulty levels and drop them down several notches because that's where things are going to go wrong. So if you're good at rehousing Pisolotheria species, suddenly Pisolotheria species don't seem all that intimidating because their care is very easy overall. And to piggyback on that, I also think that your setups are very, very important. I've seen folks that get Kilobrachy species, they get C. lividus, and they put them in these shallow containers where they web up everything, and then they have ornery, angry, defensive spiders because when they rip the tops off, it freaks the spider out. If you know the setups, if you've done your homework, if you've watched good videos, if you've read good husbandry accounts from folks to actually keep them and you set them up accordingly and appropriately, you're going to have much more laid back spiders in the interim between those rehousing. So look at that. Set them up correctly, easier spider to keep. Know your rehousings, have a good way of moving the spider from point A to point B with minimizing risk or any contact with the keeper or the spider escaping or biting. Again, much easier spider overall. So in my opinion, that's why there are always so many discussions and sometimes arguments between folks who are trying to categorize 
the difficulty level of spiders. I think that's why we struggle so much with that, why one person will come forward. Like, as far as I'm concerned, somebody asked me recently, what is the one spider in your collection, the, the one tarantula in your collection? We get spiders, it's a little different story. When we get into true spiders, huntsmen, the um, other spiders I keep, a little bit different, but what is the one tarantula that freaks you out when you have to rehouse it? And I couldn't think of one. And I'm not being cocky. They just, they're all kind of, I think I have my stuff down. I know what the possibilities are as far as, you know, the spider possibly getting out or, you know, any issues we may have. I've dealt with it. And so there really isn't that stress anymore. So there isn't really one right now that I look at. I, I treat them, and I've told, told people this before, I treat them all kind of the same way, which is why I sometimes get made fun of when I rehouse like a really supposedly docile new world species. And I'm very careful with it. I treat them all the same way. So for me, there really isn't one. There's not a lot that I would feel are difficult. I think it's more for folks that are just getting into the hobby that haven't kept a lot yet, that maybe aren't doing their research when they go to look at new tarantulas. They go, oh, this looks really cool. I'm ready for it. And then do their research after the fact. I think those are the ones that run into problems. Those are the ones that end up with spiders that they would consider to be difficult or unruly or advanced. I do think it's important, and I want to make this very, very clear. This is in no way, shape, or form me saying, hey, they're all easy. No, 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 no. I'm saying the potential is there. For the easy ones to be difficult, for the difficult ones to be easy, it's all about doing your homework, getting your rehousing practice in there to the point where you feel confident. I think for folks that do that and, and do those things, do their homework, set it up right, practice their rehousing, they're all going to be rather simple. And then we're back to my original point that the hobby really isn't that difficult overall it's it's going to be something we argue and it's going to come up constantly there's never there's not going to be any resolution for this because i do do at the end of the day can we could we take just about all these species and kind of assign them a designation like this is what you can expect yeah you can kind of do that is it going to differ between you know if you survey 10 different keepers are they all going to report 10 different things absolutely and i think that's why it makes it so tricky they are at the end of the day wild not domesticated animals and they, because of that, there's always going to be that X factor is in terms of how they behave. So I think for me, and just to, you know, the tie a bow around this podcast and move off and hopefully everybody's going to go out and enjoy some time with their, the mothers in their lives. I think to tie a bow around it, the message would be do your homework, consider temperament, Consider ease of care and then sit back and ask yourself, am I ready for this? Am I ready for that worst case scenario? Am I ready for a spider that may stand and throw up a threat posture? Am I ready for a spider that may bolt if it gets spooked? And if the answer to that is yes, then you're probably ready to move into them because that's the other question we always get asked. When am I ready to move into an advanced species? And I always say it comes down to the individual. So I think, unfortunately, those are the two big variables we deal with and why this is such a difficult question. It comes down to the person keeping them, and it comes down to the individual animal. And that's a lot of variation both ways. So our lists that label the intermediate, beginner, advanced species useless, nope, I argue this already. I do think for some people they give you an idea of what to expect, but I do think that we should start dealing in terms of 
of, and this is what I'd like to see more of going forward. And I struggle with this as well because I will label things advanced, but then I try to explain it's because of care. It's because of temperament. I do think we need to talk more about their individual personalities and what we can expect from them and their individual care and what we will need to be required to provide them and then let people decide from there what fits for them, what works for them. So somebody might go, well, you know what? I'm really not all that scared of the temperament. I know how to keep these guys but I really don't feel confident with a moisture-dependent species right now. I'd like to start off with something a little easier. So that may be something that's a little easier for them. They may lean toward those African species like the aforementioned Harpactera or the even the P. murinus. Or they might go, you know what? I feel really comfortable with keeping moisture-dependent species. I kept the T. sturmy. I've kept the T. blondi. I feel comfortable with that. And I feel comfortable with the temperament, in which case they're ready to move into some of those Asian arboreals that can have the temperaments and can require that extra care in terms of moisture. Comes down to the individual, comes down to the spider. And I don't think it's going to be an argument that's ever going to be won by either side because there's really no argument to have. There's too many variables for it. One person's advanced species may be very easy for another one, vice versa. So... That will do it for this topic. Hopefully, I gave you guys some things to think about. I've been struggling with this one a lot because I do get asked, and I think for me, it becomes difficult because I have a lot of people that watch the videos and ask, where does this fall on the list? And I struggle. And that's when I break it down and just say what I've seen with mine and what I've heard from other people and let them figure it out. That's where I talk about the temperament, worst case scenario, best case scenario, setup, and then ease of care and let them take it from there. But it, it's always been difficult for me. And I get why people get angry when people label certain species advanced. And they go, it's not really that difficult to take care of. I totally get it. I just think, again, it's good information to people to have. And it is, I think people want to categorize things because it makes it easier for them to make decisions. If they find out something is quote unquote an advanced species, maybe they're going to be more prudent with it and more careful with it. And that's something that we want ultimately. So that will do it for this one, guys, uh, everybody out there, all the moms out there. Again, happy Mother's Day. I hope you guys have a fantastic day. It's, it's beautiful here, which is awesome. A bit windy, but beautiful overall. So a nice day for it. Obviously, you can find me on thomasbigspiders.com. You can find me on Thomas Big Spiders on YouTube. I just posted up a video featuring Rocky Pelma Amelia, kind of an update video for folks that love that species. That'll do it for this one, guys. As always, stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.